SBI show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Galarsep, and it is Saturday, the day before the big USA Canada World Cup qualifier in Hamilton. And there's so much to dig into. It's a game we've been waiting for for a good, good while. Now we won't have all the stars on hand that we were hoping for. No, Alfonso Davies. And now no Tim Weah. But it's still promising to be a can't-miss affair. And hopefully, plenty of goals, plenty of action. Although, it's going to be plenty cold. It's going to be uh, record-setting levels of cold in Hamilton. And uh, uh, unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, I'm not going to be there. I'm stuck in the snow in New Jersey. Um, prepping for my trip to Minnesota. Getting all the long johns and thermal socks and everything ready for that. But before we get to that, the big game, Sunday. And uh, the two teams, the top two teams in CONCACAF, they did what they had to do before the big game. They both won their games on Thursday. U.S. defeating El Salvador 1-0. The score, not quite indicative of the control that the U.S. had in the game, but credit to El Salvador. They made it tough. And the U.S. didn't finish the chances that they were able to create. Canada went to Honduras, a place where they have had some horrors, nightmares, and they exercised some demons in Honduras. They went 2-0, Tejon Buchanan wreaking havoc, Jonathan David another goal, and the teams took care of business, top two teams in CONCACAF took care of business, and now they meet in Hamilton, winner takes first place after 10 rounds. Canada with a with the current lead right now, they're in first place, U.S. in second. And in third place still, L Tree. El Tree. The tree stands for three, third place. They needed a late second half rally to beat a 10-man Jamaica team. It was by no means a great performance for Mexico, but they got the points that they needed. Tata Martino got the points he needed because, let's be honest, if they don't turn it around, if they don't score those late goals to win that game, Mexico's looking at a new coach right now. I got... I, I mean, I for me, if they lost that game, he was out. He was done. But we'll get into that a little bit later. We're going to stick, start things off, obviously, with the U.S. 1-0 win over El Salvador. And no, it wasn't a pretty performance. It wasn't a great performance. But they did what they had to do. They did create chances. And they got the win. And Anthony Robinson was the hero. Scores the winning goal. His second goal of... World Cup qualifying, and I believe somebody did say 
that he was going to have a window. He was going he was going to do some things this window. He was going to be a, a big big player in this window. Can't remember who said it. Yeah, but yeah, he stepped up the the Fulham left back with the goal, and they needed it. First half of that game, there were chances. And first, we got to get into the lineup, right? The starting lineup, a couple of surprises. Really one surprise, let's be real. One surprise. One kind of surprise. The, the one clear surprise, Jesus Ferreira in for Ricardo Pepe at the striker position. And of course, as we would expect, Ferreira played it more as a false nine. He was dropping back quite a bit. And you kind of ask yourself, well, what is Greg Berhalter doing? Why would he not start Ricardo Pepe? His striker, his guy who scored the goals in the fall, who just made his move to the Bundesliga, why would you not have him in your starting lineup? Basically, it boils down to, if you look at the way the game played out, you have to think that Berhalter liked what Ferreira was going to be able to do in terms of combining with his teammates, in terms of getting everyone involved in the game. Whereas with Pepe, obviously, when Ricardo Pepe's the striker, you're looking to feed him the ball. And not to say he can't help set teammates up also, but I have to think part of it was a little bit of squad rotation in the sense that, you know, maybe you don't feel Pepe's going to be a guy who you're going to have start both those games. And also, I think it was uh, some thinking along the lines of, well, you're going to play an El Salvador team that is going to be in a real solid defensive setup, defensive shape, not a lot of room to operate, not a lot of ser- not a lot of opportunities service-wise, but you can unlock that with good combination play. And Ferreira gives you that. And credit to Ferreira. He, had, he created some chances. He got involved. He was involved in the winning goal. He got an assist. It was his pass who found Anthony Robinson. Close range for the goal, and you have to give, look, give Ferreira credit. And I think, obviously, the people who, and obviously there was a lot of people, there were a lot of people who were scratching their heads when Pepe was in the lineup. And right off the bat, you know, you knew Ferreira would, unless he had a gem of a game, he was going to face some criticism. And what it came down to is he had some first-half chances that he should have put away. There's no debating it, especially the second one. When he was right in front of the goal, he should he needs to... Use his left foot, put it on goal, it's a goal. But he didn't do it. He missed those chances. But he did do some good things. And you and it it I mean for me at least, it was pretty clear why he started and what they were hoping to get from him. And he was able to provide some of the things that they were hoping for. What he didn't do was finish the chances that did come his way. That's the unfortunate part. I tell you what, I thought overall he had a pretty solid performance. And one player who I don't know I don't know anyone that could argue had a disappointing performance wasn't Jesus Ferreira. It was actually Christian Pulisic. And uh, I spoke to someone today who, who who suggested maybe he took a knock early on and that, that's, that held him back or he was dealing with something. But all I know is he just wasn't very effective. And he had his moments. Look, he's always going to have his moments. He's a supremely talented player, confident player, tireless worker. So he had a couple of flashes here and there. But overall, it was a struggle. It was a frustrating night. And it ended early. He came out early. And, uh, you know, it just it, it's an interesting situation with Pulisic because obviously his club situation is not the best right now in terms of steady playing time, even in certain in terms of a role, a steady role at Chelsea. So you get away from that, you get away from the frustration of your club situation, you come to the U.S. national team where it's kind of it's like your safe space. It's your safe haven. You're the man. You're the star. You're the Captain America. So, you know, he comes into this setup. Wanting to do it all, wanting to make things happen, wanting to take everybody on on the dribble, and maybe he maybe he was trying to do too much. And uh, it was interesting. I was I actually asked uh, Greg Berhalter about Pulisic, 
uh, ahead of the, the the Canada game, just to, just in terms of kind of putting that performance in context. And and Burl, uh, Greg Berhalter said some enlightening things regarding Pulisic's situation. As far as Christian goes, he, he's he looked, he looked pretty frustrated in that first game. Obviously, you know the, the playing time hasn't been consistent at Chelsea. How do you kind of manage uh, you know a player dealing with with issues like that and it looks like his, his linking with his teammates with the U.S. is, is a little off. Is that, is that just lack of, of games with some of these guys? What, what, what do you attribute that to? Yeah, I don't know. I, was, I don't know if frustration is the right word for, for Christian's performance. Um, you know, he's a guy that does, does everything he can for the team to be successful. And he's a guy that, um, you know, you, you can count on him giving the effort needed to, to help the team. And I think that's the most important thing and for us, for the, his teammates and for himself. It's just understanding that every player has their role within the team. And, and it's a very balanced team. And we don't need one guy um, to, to be the hero necessarily. And I think there's, there's maybe some unwanted pressure that Christian's putting on himself because he's, he's a great teammate, he's a great player, and he can be the perfect um, game changer for us used in the right way. And for us, it's just getting the ball in good positions that he can hurt the opponent. And, and when we do that, when we can do that, I'm confident that he's going to make an impact. You see, you know, there's not too many players that arrive in the penalty box with, with the momentum and the speed that he does. So we, we have to do a good job of getting him the ball. He made some great runs the other night, and we, unfortunately the crosses weren't there. Now, I don't know about you, but re- I don't know if you have to necessarily read between the lines there, but uh, I think – Berhalter was pretty clear in saying that he, you know, he thinks maybe Pulisic is trying too hard. Like he, he feels like it's the weight is on him, and you can understand Pulisic has that weight of expectations of being the man, of being Captain America, being the the star of this team. But as Berhalter has said rightly, he doesn't have to be. He doesn't have to be the do it all. Just play your game, combine with your teammates, and in the framework of this talented team, you can help this team get to another level. And, you know, I'm sure he has watched Alfonso Davies put on the Superman cape for Canada at times and just take over games. And I'm sure he wants to do that. Right. No question. Of course. Who would want to do that? But he just his form. He's not in great form right now. And you can understand why the, the minutes haven't been there. The consistent playing time, the consistent positional role for him hasn't been there for Chelsea. But having said all of that. Christian Pulisic is still Christian Pulisic. He's still the most, you know, the most talented attacking player you have who can still make things happen. But his his game is in the funk right now. And it, he needs to figure that out. The U.S. needs him to figure that out because you, it's going to be really tough to beat Canada without Pulisic clicking, at, without Pulisic at his best. Even with Canada missing Alfonso Davies, they still have Jonathan David, Tate John Buchanan, Kyle Aaron. They have their weapons. The U.S. Need, the U.S. needs Pulisic on his game to win this to win this game on Sunday. And uh, I know I've even seen some suggestions. Do you sit Pulisic if he's in a funk? Do you sit him? Do you take him out of the lineup? I'm sorry, you don't do that. You don't do that for a variety of reasons. But above all, he still do gets things done. He still makes things happen in big spots. I mean, are we forgetting the Nations League final? Are we forgetting November? November, the man in the mirror. Are we really forgetting that moment that he delivered off the bench? He can still do incredible things. But he he just kind of, he just needs to get out of this funk. He just needs to, maybe he will hopefully, you know, these conversations are going on behind the scenes. But the fact that Berhalter just came out and said that, that maybe he's trying to do too much. You, you have to think that that same conversation is happen, happening in camp. Like, listen, Christian, 
Everyone knows you're the man. Everyone knows you have all these ta- all this talent. But trust in your teammates. Don't force things and let just let the system play itself out. Lean on your teammates. And this team can do some things. And I know there's a lot of frustration among U.S. fans, particularly with the continued first-half struggles, the lack of goals. Only two first-half goals in the entire octagonal. Nine matches, two first-half goals. Clearly not enough. But you've seen this team create chances. You've seen this team have first-half performances where they played well enough to score but didn't. Generated chances, didn't finish them. So it'd be one thing if, you know, you're talking first halves where there were just nothing happening. And yeah, of course, look, the Panama game in Panama, no one wants to revisit that first half. It was terrible. But there have been other games where they had all of the ball, all of the chances, didn't put away, put them away in the first half. And this is something that, you know, the team needs to, uh, they need to put away their chances. That's what it comes down to it. Now, if there's a silver lining in this, is it, it's in how the team has continued to respond in the second half of games. I believe they've outscored opponents 11 to 2 in the second half. And, it, you know, it just, you, you have to give them credit for being able to respond. And, and it's not just, and to be clear, Greg Berhalter deserves some credit, obviously, for some of the, the changes that he makes. Some of the substitutions, some of the tactical wrinkles that he that he makes, and I'm sure. So it, obviously, you hear it, you hear the the complaints, and you hear, well, listen, why don't you get it right before the game? Why don't you why don't you start out with the right plan? Why does it have to take 45 minutes? And I would say this: none of the teams, none of the teams, none, definitely none of the top teams, not Canada, not Mexico, none of the teams are as good in the first half as they are in the second half. The numbers bear that out. I've looked at, you know, I've been working on that in in my work with CBS. And you look at Canada, they've scored first half goals. They've also given up first half goals. Canada has trailed. Canada has given up the first goal and trailed in four games in the octagonal. They've scored more goals in the second half than the first half. Given up fewer goals in the second half than the first half. Same with Mexico. So this isn't, this isn't just the U.S. thing. These bigger teams Figure things out. They, they're deeper squads. They can bring people off the bench. They make their adjustments at halftime. So it's not, a, it's not just a U.S. thing, to be clear. And that's not to excuse the wasteful finishing. That's not to excuse those some of these real forgettable first half performances. But it's just to kind of put it in some context. Because I think people, I think something, people just fall into that trap where it's like, oh, it's, it should just be better. It should, you should just dominate every minute of every game. You're better than these teams. It's El Salvador. You should score 10. It's just not realistic. You're talking about a young team that's still figuring itself out. That's still learning to play together. And that, and that's what I think kind of gets lost in this and in, in, in people kind of overlooking and underestimating the value of, of that continuity of the value of the understanding that you develop as teammates with more games. And I know the big stat, one of the stats that I put out there before the game on Thursday that clearly blew the minds of a lot of people is the fact that Christian Pulisic, Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, and Sergio Dest had never played a minute together before Thursday. Not a single minute. And that just kind of illustrates how few opportunities the the real, the, the you know, first choice nucleus group of this U.S., this golden, quote unquote, golden generation hasn't had these opportunities to play many matches together. So that 
it doesn't make things easy as you're trying to develop develop a you know continuity consistency. I mean, never mind Giorina. I mean, Giorina's been not hasn't played since September. He also, if you add him to that equation, take Serginio Dest out of that equation, put Giorina in there, you have the same situation. So you know they have not started together, and I know that's going to sound a little like excuse making, but that's just the reality. And that's what people just need to try and not to forget whenever you kind of look at these situations. And that's not to say, hey, you know what? You should be happy that, the, you know, it's 0-0 zero, zero against El Salvador in the first half at halftime. No, no one's saying that. You need to put away chances. You need to avoid that. This is how you avoid uh, these these tricky results, these these where you drop points that you shouldn't. You don't want to be putting your, you don't want to put yourself in these situations. And that's what happens when you continue to have first halves where you don't score, when you don't put away chances. I mean, it's a crazy stat to consider that the U.S. has yet to be leading a game at halftime in the octagonal. Nine matches. Nine matches the U.S. has not led at halftime. That's crazy. Now, to turn it around, there's only been one occasion where they've been trailing. And that was in Panama, uh, in Panama to Panama. It's the only time they were trailing at halftime. So on one hand, it's it's not great. It needs to get better. The finishing needs to get better just to make it easier on yourselves. But on the other hand, it's good to know that the, the defense has been pretty solid and the second halves have been clearly better. Having said all that, you're going to need much better. You're going to need to finish your chances against Canada. If the chances come. And I believe they will come. We're talking about a Canada team that as good as they are, they're vulnerable. They're in first place. They have not lost yet, right? They're the only team that has not lost in the octagonal. But they have given up goals. They have trailed. They've actually trailed four times in the octagonal. Actually, four of the first five games in the octagonal. They they were they gave up the first goal. They were trailing. And for some comparison, the U.S. has only been trailing twice. In two games, Panama game and the Honduras game in Honduras. So they have yet to be trailing at home. But now they go to they go to Hamilton. They're facing a confident Canadian team, a Canadian team that has the talent, a Canadian team that's in form, a Canadian team that has gotten to know it's each other. And has played plenty of games now. And you see that you're seeing a, 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 when you watch this Canada team now. You feel like it's a team that 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 gets it, that that knows how to play together. There's a familiarity there. And the U.S. still doesn't have that. And hopefully with some more matches and in some more time, they develop that. But right now, I would give the Canada, I would give Canada the edge in that department. In the in the feel that it's a more cohesive group that has got and and, to, and it's easy to overlook this, but let's not forget Canada had to go through a much longer qualifying process just to get to the octagonal, right? So they've had, uh, in the, when you're talking about 2021, when they had the previous round of World Cup qualifying, as much as these were matches against, you know, low-seeded teams, uh, small Caribbean nations that they, you know, they clearly had the mismatch on and they clearly beat up handily. But the point is, you had these official games. You had game after game, opportunity after opportunity with your first-choice group. And that's invaluable. And right now they have that edge. Their group, the Canada group, 
has the edge on having played together far more than the U.S. team. Now, does that mean Canada should win? Absolutely no, because guess what? At this U.S. team, when you want to talk top to bottom, it's a more talented team. I know Canadians will argue. They'll say, oh, wait a minute. If we have Davies, it's the same. We're equal. No, no, it's just not the case. Not top to bottom, not front to back, and not one through 23. The U.S. is a deeper team. It's a more talented team. But what Canada has is a stable of really dangerous attackers and a setup that they're clearly getting used to and getting comfortable with, a system under John Herdman. They have figured they they've had that opportunity to play these matches together, and you see a team that is much closer to the finished product. And not to say they are, they're not they're not there yet. No, not saying that, but they're further along, and they're definitely closer to that. Definitely closer to a, a, a cohesive group that gets the, that understands how their coach wants to play and are playing the way their coach wants to play. They're further along in that project than the U.S. is, and there's a variety of reasons for that. But that that's where it is now. So now we're going to see on Sunday, can Canada capitalize on that? Can Canada take advantage of the fact that they are playing better as a team than the Americans are? And I've completely rambled uh, talking about U.S.-Canada. I was going to get into that a little bit later. I'm trying to see if I've forgotten anything here that I definitely wanted to touch on. Um, before I dig into the U.S.-Canada game a little more, uh, I did want to touch on Matt Turner to Arsenal just because... It was ESPN is reporting that it's a done deal. Matt Turner heading to Arsenal in the summer. Taylor Twelman first to report that. And and Greg Berhalter, of all people, confirmed it after the El Salvador game, essentially. I mean, he didn't he, he basically confirmed it. And uh it's interesting. I know some people are looking at it and saying, Why is Matt Turner going to Arsenal? Is he crazy? He's not gonna play there. They have Ramsdale. Why would you do that in a World Cup year? Here's what it boils down to. That is a life changing opportunity. And at his age, he's twenty I believe he's twenty eight right now. At his age, there's no guarantee a better opportunity is going to come along, right? And if things work out as they're being reported in that he gets to stay with the revolution until the summer, I mean, you're talking about getting to play through July, and then it's only, what, August, September, October, three months before the World Cup in November. And if, you know, it, maybe he's not necessarily the starter at Arsenal, but you, you're talking a much smaller window where he could potentially not be playing consistently. But you can't pass up that opportunity on the off chance that you can be the number one for the U.S. men's national team. Right. You don't you don't just you just don't pass that up. And uh, I think it's great. It's a great story. Uh, Matt Turner, one of the you know one of the, really one of the best people you'll ever you'll ever kind of come across. And he, he he's put it all together. Think about how much he's done just in the past year. In the past thirteen months, I mean, I, I can't think of many players who've had more of a whirlwind whirlwind in thirteen months to go from you know uncapped, not in the not on the radar for Europe, the, you know, not considered a, a candidate to start for the U.S. national team. Now he has started, uh, you know, he sets the record for national team shutouts in a year. Now he's looking at a transfer to Arsenal, seven million, six million, whatever the final figure will be. And now he's starting again in qualifiers because Zach Steffen has back spasms. And now you have Matt Turner ready to start in goal in Canada in the big game, and it's just a great story, and you love to see it. And I did mention it on Twitter. It is interesting that this is happening 19 years after another New Jersey native goalkeeper made the move from MLS to England. And that was Tim Howard. 
In 2003, he left the Metro Stars to join Manchester United. And uh, I still remember that. I still remember him again. Also, he left in the summer and joined Manchester United in the summer. And it was unbelie- an unbelievable opportunity. And think about then, for those, who, for those of you who are a little young and maybe don't remember or weren't around or weren't paying attention, when he went to Manchester United, there was no talk. There was no talk of Tim Howard starting for Manchester United. That was the last thing anyone was thinking. They had Fabian Barthez, the, uh, the World Cup winning goalkeeper from France. Tim Howard, at best, you're like, oh, you know, third third keeper. He'll have a chance to develop. Maybe one day, you know, he can play some games. Never the thought. The thought was never Tim Howard starter for Manchester United. And what happens? First year, first season, the right off the bat, he is the starter. He starts his first season for Manchester United. And, uh, I mean, we're talking storybook stuff. I mean, he was 23 years old. I mean, you know, and I'm sure some people then were thinking, you know, do you go to Manchester And Okay, to be fair, not many people were saying don't go to Manchester United, but there obviously was the risk of going and not playing games, getting stuck on the bench, having your development stagnate. And that's always the risk with goalkeepers. But how do you pass that up? Just like Zach Steffen, 16, 17 years later with Manchester City, you don't pass it up. You don't pass up the opportunity. You just don't. And with Matt Turner, you don't know what happens. Maybe Ramsdale gets sold. Maybe Turner just beats him out. Maybe uh, you never know what things can happen. Or maybe Turner has a World Cup, a monster World Cup, and someone comes along wanting to buy him from Arsenal. So many, so many things can happen. And at this point in his, in his career, at his age, you take it. You do it. And uh, I wish him all the best. And it, it couldn't happen to a nicer person, a better person. And hopefully he can take full advantage of it. And, uh, and guess what? He'll have that opportunity on Sunday once again to showcase his abilities. And you know he's going to be tested against this Canada attack. And uh, the one of the big headlines on Saturday for this U.S.-Canada game was Tim Weah not being able to travel to Canada. And it was a bit of a surprise, if only because Greg Berhalter just a few days ago said that all the players are clear, everyone should be good to go. I actually asked him about that directly because, you know, there were, there were rumblings behind the scenes that, you know, there might be some issues with some COVID situations. And I asked him directly, you know, is there any issues? With, are there any issues with anybody that might not be able to go to Canada? And his exact words were, everyone should be good to go. And clearly something changed, or clearly they were hoping to be able to deal with this, but it didn't work out. Tim Weah can't play against Canada. He can't enter Canada. And basically what it boils down to is Tim Weah had one vaccination shot, and then he contracted COVID before he could have a second vaccination shot. And in France, if you have one vaccination shot and then you have COVID, you are considered fully vaccinated. That's that's according to Greg Berhalter, that is the guideline in France. So as far as the national team was concerned, he was fully vaccinated. At least that was the story they were trying to tell Canada. And Canada was like, yeah, buddy, that's not how we do it here, eh? <laughs> we, you need two shots minimum, preferably three, preferably the booster, but minimum two shots. I mean, they might even need the booster. I don't, I don't even know the details on that. But definitely one shot plus COVID was not getting you in. Sorry, sir, you're not getting into the club tonight. That's basically what it came, came down to. And I definitely saw some of the reactions and people were just all over U.S. soccer. Like, how could you let this happen? This is a disaster, blah, blah, blah. Here's what it comes down to. Tim Weah was always going to be part of this camp. He was always going to play in the home games. And if you have this situation, I, for me, I have a feeling U.S. soccer knew this could happen. But they were going to still try it. 
right? They were still going to try to get him into the country, hope that it could be worked out, hope that there could be some resolution that could allow him to play. Clearly, that did not happen, right? It's like you go to the club and you're like, yeah, I don't know if they allow sneakers. I'll just try it. These sneakers are kind of nice. You know, maybe I'll get away with it. And then you show up at the door and like, yeah, sorry, buddy. We don't, you, you can't get in with sneakers. And it's like, uh, in your mind, you knew this was going to happen, but you wanted to try it. You thought you might be able to get over. And that's basically what happened with the, with the U.S. national team and Tim Weah. They were hoping it would get resolved. They were hoping some, <laughs> you know, some situation, you know, that they could get it worked out, but they didn't. So here we are. And now he's on his way to Minnesota. And when it comes down to it, maybe he wouldn't have started anyway. But it's still, you want to have him there because he's been, he's had a fact, he's had he played a big part in the last three games for the U.S. If you think about it, in the last three games, he's had a hand in a goal, whether it's setting it up or scoring it for the past three games, including the goal against El Salvador, which he helped set up by, you know, breaking into the penalty area. His shot was saved. Ferreira got it to Robinson. Boom, they scored the winner. Now you don't have him, but you should have Brendan Aronson in the lineup, back in the starting lineup. I believe he should start. He will start, I, in my opinion. I don't. Nothing's confirmed yet on who will start, but you'd like to think Brendan Aronson is going to get the nod just with how well he has played in the octagonal. And uh, in, the other question in the attack is: Will Ricardo Pepe reprise his starting role? Will he get back into the starting lineup, or will Greg Berhalter go with Ferreira again? Will he give him a second start after creating chances, after helping set up the winner? Does he get another chance? For me, I think Pepe gets in. The, he goes into the lineup. I think Pepe matches up well with the Canada defense. I think he's a handful for them. I think there's going to be more of an opportunity to, to provide service. When you think about the way Canada plays, they definitely come at you. They definitely are going to attack you on the wings. It's going to be an open game, but they also allow themselves. They, they leave themselves exposed for opportunities for the opponents. I mean, even just against Honduras, a, a bad Honduras team, Honduras had chances. Milan Borjan had to make some big saves for them. So if you're Greg Berhalter and you know this Canada team will give up chances and you know that you could potentially provide some service that he can put away, you like what Pepe can do. As opposed to Ferreira, who I could see in against El Salvador, you wanted his combination play, his movement, his ability to drop deep to help unlock an El Salvador defense that was going to have numbers behind the ball. Canada's not going to do that. Canada is by no means going to bunker. I mean, they're not going to be totally crazy attack-wise, but they are going to send numbers at the U.S. defense. And that should create some opportunities. For the U.S. attack. Now, obviously, Pe Pepe Ferreira is one question. Another question is who starts at center back for the U.S.? And one of them, obviously, for me, it's probably going to be Walker Zimmerman. He actually spoke to the media on Saturday. And I know that doesn't guarantee that you start, but it's like a 95% rate of if, you, if you're the person who talks the day before the game, you 95%, totally unscientific number, 95% of the time you are going to start. So, And he deserves to start because he's been playing so well. And has been so consistent and has just really blossomed into this dependable starting role. So if you have him on one side, who plays next to him? Will it be Chris Richards again? Or will it be Miles Robinson? And it really comes down to where is Miles Robinson fitness-wise? Because again, he did not take part in the December camp. He was rested after a long year, understandably. And now he hasn't played. The MLS, the MLS schedule is, you know, at this time of year, MLS players are not playing. So he hasn't played an official match since, what, November? 
So that's the tricky part because if all things were equal, if both Miles Robinson and Chris Richards were both in full fitness playing regularly, you probably you give the edge to Miles Robinson just because of the form that he showed in the second half of 2021. You can absolutely argue that as a defender, as a pure one-on-one defender, Miles Robinson is ahead of Chris Richards. Is Chris Richards a better prospect, and does he have more upside than a Miles Robinson? Yes, absolutely, he does. He's younger. He's three, was he three years younger, and he's playing in the Bundesliga, playing well. But Miles Robinson is a you can argue is a better defender when he's in form. So that's that's the tricky part right there. And and only Berhalter knows where Robinson is fitness wise, because if he's not one hundred percent fit, are you are you really going to risk him going up against Jonathan David, going up against Kyle Aaron, going up against Dejan Buchanan? That's you're asking you're asking a lot. But if he's fit, if he's ready to go, if his levels are good enough, he you give him the nod just because he's a better defender now than Chris Richards is. And I know some people say, ah, I don't know about that. No, he is. He's a better defender, period, right now. Chris Richards has the ability, has the potential to develop into the best defender in the national team pool. No question. I've been saying this for years. If I had a nickel for every time I've said it, I'd be rich already. But right, we're talking about right now. And Richards is still developing. He's still feeling feeling it out the, the, in terms of international soccer, in terms of, in terms of the national team. Even in, against El Salvador, it wasn't like he was – Super imposing. Walker Zimmerman had more of an influence on the game among the center backs than Chris Richards did. But Chris Richards' time will come. Will it come against Canada? I think it will if Robinson is not 100% in terms of fitness. So we'll see. That's a big That's a big decision for Berhalter to make. Now, what matchups are we looking forward to on Sunday? I mean, we have to start off with, right off the bat, Tejon Buchanan against... Anthony Jedi Robinson. And we're calling him Jedi Robinson from now on because he said, I don't know if people caught it. He said it on Thursday. He prefers Jedi. He actually, it's, it's weird to be called Anthony, apparently. So we're hearing this. So I, you know what? I'm calling you Jedi from now on. That's it, Jedi. And I don't know anyone who's in better form right now than Tate John Buchanan in terms of wingers in, in CONCACAF. I mean, you saw what he did against Honduras. I mean, he's, he helps create the own goal to open the scoring in Honduras. He's been lights out every opportunity he's gotten. And now he's going up against Anthony Robinson, who is in great form. This is the dream scenario. Two players in absolute outstanding form going head to head. Speed versus speed. Physicality, physicality. Anthony Robinson likes to get forward. Jedi Jedi likes to get forward. Tejon, obviously, we know what he does getting forward. So it really, this is a huge, a huge battle. And this is really, for me, going to determine the game. Because if Jedi can shut down Buchanan and, or force him to defend or force him to pin, keep him pinned back, that is so huge to, in, for con- slowing down this Canada attack. Because if Buchanan has to deal with defending or if Buchanan can't shake loose from Robinson, that really limits the, the service that Canada gets, especially without uh, Alfonso Davies on the other side. Because I'll tell you what, full-strength Canada team with Davies on the left and Buchanan on the right, I mean, that's scary. That's just scary, period. Just There's not many teams that have two fullbacks that can deal with those two. I mean, there's not many teams in the world that have anyone who can deal with Alfonso Davies when he's on his game. I mean, let's be real. Luckily for the U.S., no Davies this time around. He's recovering. He has myocarditis. He's recovering... Uh, from that heart ailment, and and we wish him the best. Can't wait to see him back on the field. He's such an important part of CONCACAF soccer and obviously Canadian soccer. Another matchup, obviously, is Jonathan David versus either Miles Robinson or Chris Richards. 
And whichever one it is, is obviously going to have their hands full because David is so dynamic. He has the speed. He has the strength. He can finish. He, he just he has it all in terms of being a dangerous goal scorer. And Robinson, you hope if you're the U.S. If you're a U.S. fan, you're hoping Robinson is at 100% because he gives you the best chance to try to contain David. And Richards, Richards is still a little young in terms of the international game. I mean, he only has still, he's still in the single digits and caps. He's played in two, he started in, was he started in two qualifiers now? It could be three, but he's still, he's still learning. So hopefully it's Robinson. And if it's, if it's not Robinson, it's again, a great opportunity for Chris Richards to show what he can do against an elite, elite striker. Best striker in CONCACAF right now. And you can argue one of the best strikers in the world in terms of obviously being the, you know, one of the leading scorers in in league, huh? And someone who has been regularly mentioned as a transfer target. I mean, at this point, who knows what the price tag is on him? 60 million? 50, 60? So that's one to watch. Another one, potentially, Tyler Adams versus Steven Ustakio. And I know some people say, wait a minute, Steven Ustakio? I thought he had COVID. What's going on? I thought he wasn't playing. Apparently, Ustakio is in Canada. Apparently, he's in Hamilton. So he's on the roster. And I don't know if he's going to be cleared or if he's able to be cleared to play in the game on Sunday, but let's just say he is. If he is cleared to play, you have to think he's gonna he's gonna be in the lineup because I mean, his, as dangerous as he is, as creative as he is, when you talk about the set piece threat that he gives you, he he's someone that if you're John Herdman and he's fit, you get him in the lineup. And who knows? Maybe this is a little uh, little smoke and mirrors, and they want to have the U.S. have to worry about a stockio. But if he's healthy. He's a handful. And if he's a ha- and if he's healthy, he's someone who Tyler Adams absolutely has to deal with. And Tyler Adams can deal with him. Let's be clear. Tyler Adams is, you know, he can handle the job. So we'll see if he can do that. And uh, last but certainly not least, another matchup, Christian Pulisic against Alistair Johnson. And assuming Canada plays three in the back and, and assuming they play the three center backs and they play Tejon Buchanan as a wing back, Pulisic against Tejon Buchanan and Alistair Johnson, that's going to be a handful. Or let's say the tag teams. Anthony Robinson and Christian Pulisic versus Tejon Buchanan and Alistair Johnson. That's that's going to be fun. That's going to be fun to watch, no question. And I'll tell you what, Christian Pulisic, let's think about this. The last time Pulisic was in Canada was a frustrating game for him. 2019, Nations League, Canada wins. Pulisic comes out early. Berhalter takes him out early. He was not happy about coming out early out of that match. We all remember Pouty Pulisic. And then after the match, he, you could tell just in the post-game interview, uh, just he was not not thrilled with being subbed out. And um, now th- I think for that reason and for so many other reasons, I think this is a game where Pulisic, he, he just, I, I feel like he's going to have a game. And I, and I know I said that about Anthony Robinson last game, or I said that coming into the window about Anthony Robinson, but this feels like a game where Christian Pulisic just says, you know what, screw this, I'm putting the cape on, I'm going to remind people, because people clearly have forgotten who I am. So I actually think this is the game. Christian Pulisic puts it all together. Goal and an assist, U.S. victory. I know that's a little ambitious considering how good Canada is. I'm not going to do the prediction of the game as much as do the prediction on Pulisic. I feel very confident that Pulisic is going to put it together in this game and really make an impact, score a goal plus. So 
we'll see. I mean, Alistair Johnson, I'll give him credit. He's, he's been great for Canada. He's, he was great in it with Nashville, and now he's been traded to Montreal. And in that three-center-back setup, he's, you know, he's naturally a fullback, but he plays as the right center-back in the three. He's a good defender. So he's not going to make it easy for Pulisic. But I tell you what, when Pulisic is locked in, when Pulisic is motivated, when Pulisic just has that fire, he's hard to stop. And he didn't have it against El Salvador, but something tells me he's going to have it against Canada. Now, before we wrap it up, we do want to talk about the rest of CONCACAF real quick. And uh, obviously, Costa Rica beating Panama on Thursday was huge for the U.S. And why was that? Because, again, Panama, as a team trying to break into the top three, having them lose and create more of a gap between the top three, which is the those are the automatic qualifying spots and fourth place. Now the gap is four points. And if you're the U S you're feeling pretty good about things because guess what? You play Panama in Orlando, you play them at home. You're going to like your chances at home. They do have the game against Honduras at home where you have to like their chances to beat a team that's already toast now and not, and not qualifying. So, Having Panama drop points just creates that bigger gap, brings the U.S. closer, and keeps Costa Rica in it now. Costa Rica, and obviously, they're an older team, and they're a team that, uh, I feel like I've said this before, they're a team that is very much like where the U.S. was in 2018, in the sense that they have a bit of, they have an older generation. They haven't really had the next generation come along, right? So there's this gap. So you have way too old players who still can play Brian Ruiz as old as he is he can still play he scored the goal he scored the winning goal to beat Panama you still have Joel Campbell who's still he's been around 100 years but somehow he's 29 now 28 29 uh Celso Borges obviously Keller Navas I mean you're talking about all their players are in their 30s most of their players are in their 30s uh so it's still a tough a road for Costa Rica to to finish in the top three but Beating Panama at least keeps them alive and keeps them within two points now of fourth place. And, of course, fourth place gets you at least the qualifying playoff against New Zealand. And I think if you're Costa Rica or Panama, you like your chances against New Zealand. So we'll see what happens there. Mexico rallying to beat Panama. um, Rallying to beat Jamaica. I mentioned it earlier. Tata Martino, if he doesn't beat Jamaica... If he loses to Jamaica, he might. He just listen. Just drive to Montego Bay, take a vacation because you're done. You're fired. That w- I mean, it was going to happen. He would have been fired if they lost. But credit to them. Credit credit to Alexis Vega, Henry Martin, and again, Mexico did not have Irving Lozano, who was suspended. Raúl Jiménez, who was injured. So they were not at full strength. But still, how do you have this much trouble against ten man Jamaica? And for those who didn't watch the game, Jamaica, Damian Lowe. Red card at the end of the first half, thanks to VAR. VAR is in CONCACAF now, and it's actually getting calls right. How about that, right? Who would have thought? But yes, Jamaica loses Damian Lowe for the entire second half and nearly pulls off the upset. They go and score a goal, down a man, put Mexico on their heels. But credit to L-Tree, man. L-Tree, I didn't think they had it in them at that point. I thought this was it. This is going to be... This is it. Tata's toast. But nope. They won. They're still in third place. They're right on the heels. And they'll be waiting for one of the two teams, Canada or the U.S., to stumble so they could jump ahead of them in the standings. So uh, big win there for Tata and uh, and Mexico. And then, of course, last but not least, Canada beats Honduras 2-0. We, still, we talked about that a little earlier. Honduras is done. Uh, Bolillo Gomez, as great a coach as he is, I mean, it, it was... 
he's looking at 2026, right? I mean, that's what it's got to be. As much as I, it was, it was a little weird to see him. He was like he had he was teary eyed. He like his eyes were red. He was crying basically on the sidelines watching Honduras lose. And I don't know if it's because this was like the official elimination from World Cup qualifying. I guess, but it was a thankless job. Honduras is in a bad state right now in terms of their their player pool and, and the quality of the squad that they have right now. So I don't know any. I don't think any Pep Guardiola. I don't think would have qualified this Honduras team. Let's be real here. So, uh, but Canada took full advantage, get their two points to hold on to first place, and now we have Sunday's schedule. And for those who are unaware, the U.S. Uh, game against Canada is actually the early game. That game is three oh five kickoff, right? And uh, it's interesting that it's that early, and it's super early compared to the other games. And that's Canada, by the way, folks. And I know some people were asking, why in the world is this game going on when the NFL playoffs are going on? Who, who, what idiot came up with this? And look, it's Canada. John Herdman and the Canadian Federation picked the location. They picked the kickoff time. And they do not care about the NFL, folks. Get, let's get it straight. So as much as I know some people want to blame U.S. soccer for everything under the sun, and U.S. soccer can be blamed for some things, they cannot be blamed for this this kickoff time. They cannot be blamed for the location, because I'm sure if, you, if U.S. soccer had any say, this game would not be played in Hamilton. But it's a 3.05 Eastern time kickoff. And just a friendly reminder, all four CONCACAF qualifiers on Sunday are showing on Paramount+. Plus. And if you don't have it yet, why haven't you already subscribed to Paramount Plus? You absolutely should. Uh, one of the best deals around, and and, I, and I'm not saying that just because I work for CBS Sports, which is you know the parent company of Paramount Plus, but because of all the properties they have, Canada U.S. first game, uh, the second game Mexico hosting Costa Rica, and obviously that's a big one for Costa Rica because if they lose that one, and Panama beats Jamaica, as most people expect, all of a sudden that two-point gap is once again a five-point gap between fourth place and fifth place. So, I mean, Mexico with, with Chucky Lozano back, uh, it's going to be tough for Costa Rica to win in Mexico. Although, working in Mexico's favor, or I'm sorry, working in Costa Rica's favor is the fact that Azteca will only have 2,000 fans, which was a little surprise to me. Obviously, it's a COVID issue. My question is, why are you even playing this at Azteca if you can only have 2,000 fans? I mean, two, I can't even imagine what 2,000 fans looks like in Azteca. There are other stadiums. Smaller stadiums. Why play it at Azteca? It's beyond me if you're only going to have that many fans. But I don't think it's going to matter. Mexico should beat Costa Rica. But if they don't, again, Tata Martino, you're still on a hot seat, Tata. Even though you got those points in Jamaica, if you lose to Costa Rica and then Panama wins, all of a sudden things are getting very tricky. And um, let's see. Let's see if Costa Rica can pull a surprise. Of course, Panama, Jamaica, Jamaica, they're done. Let's just say it. They're done. And now with no Damian Lowe heading to Panama, 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 as we know, as U.S. fans know, Panama has been very tough at home. So you like Panama's chances there. And then the the basement Clasico, Honduras versus El Salvador. And I know some people say, oh, like, who cares about that game? Why That game doesn't mean anything. Actually, it does mean something. And it means something for two countries that are already looking to 2026. Right. And especially El Salvador with the momentum they feel they have and they do have. Because the job that Hugo Perez has done with that team, you can't say enough good things about the project that he has helped build there. And no, they're not going to qualify for 2022. But he is really laying the groundwork for a team 
that could surprise and qualify in 2026. And I'm telling you now, he's already shown so much and helped build, take them so much further than I think most people could have expected this early. I mean, I wouldn't bet against Hugo Perez getting them into 2026. I really, I really can't. And this game is significant because you're talking about as bad as Honduras is now. Honduras has been to a World Cup, multiple World Cups, right? So they have already reached that mountaintop as a Central American country. El Salvador is trying to do that now with Hugo Perez. So they beat Honduras. If they can go to Honduras and beat them, I mean, the confidence that that gives this El Salvador program, you can't overstate that. So that so in other words there is something to, for to that game that game does mean something doesn't mean if you're a US fan no it shouldn't mean it, it probably it doesn't mean anything to you if you're a US fan although if El Salvador beats Honduras and just really you want to talk about deflating an already beaten team just imagine Honduras after losing to Canada and then losing to El Salvador, having to get on a plane to play in 15 below or whatever it's going to be in Minnesota. I mean, do you see them getting off the mat and beating the U.S. in Minnesota if they lose to El Salvador? No. So if you're a U.S. fan, maybe keep a little keep one eye on that El Salvador game because El Salvador could do the U.S. a favor here and just put another nail in, in a coffin that's got plenty of nails in it already for Honduras. I think that wraps it up. I think I covered everything there is to cover. This is definitely a CONCACAF qualifying edition of the SBI show. I know I said I was going to touch on some of the MLS talk, some of the MLS news. Kevin Paredes has officially joined Wolfsburg via transfer from DC United. You love to see that. A talented, super talented young uh, fullback slash wingback uh, going to Wolfsburg. And hopefully Wolfsburg, you know, does a little better with him than some of the other Americans that they've brought in, both young and John Brooks. Uh, we know that things are getting a little messy with Brooks at Wolfsburg. Uh, I think it's safe to say at this point that Brooks was not, will not be at Wolfsburg next season. My money is on the Premier League for him or maybe another team in the Bundesliga. But he, for my money at this point, will not be at Wolfsburg next year. But now you have Kevin Paredes to give you another reason to watch Wolfsburg and uh, wish him the best. Super talented young American fullback. And, that you know, there was other MLS news to get into for sure. There's, there's plenty to talk about. But right now it's all about CONCACAF qualifying. So we'll keep it to that. Uh, definitely thank you for listening to the SBI show. And thank you for supporting SBISoccer.com. And if you're a subscriber to SBI Soccer, thank you so much for supporting the site. And if you haven't subscribed yet... Please consider subscribing. We are definitely trying to ramp things up. We're trying to keep the quality there, trying to ramp up the quality. We are going to get better with it. It's going to continue to grow. And as we keep, as we add more and more subscribers, it will definitely allow us to do more and more things. Things are going pretty well, um, but obviously they can get better. So uh, if you haven't subscribed yet, consider doing it. And obviously the SBI show is back now and it will continue to be a part of SBISoccer.com. And we'll see if we can start ramping up more episodes, but we'll obviously be back to talk Canada, USA on Monday, but that's all for now. I'm Ivis Galarsa. This is the SBI show.